We're continuing in our sermon series of going through the book of Revelation, right? Revelation. And I'm serious when I say this. You need to think of Revelation as John's Instagram account. Like he's showing pictures, he's showing visions, little clips of Jesus and biblical truths so that they will be hammered home in our brains and in our hearts. And so we think about how we want to understand those visions. We want to understand what is being said because the Lord is teaching us how and why to make much of Jesus. So this morning, our scripture reading is going to be led by Stacy Dombrowski, but you have a part too. You have to participate as well. I know you want to doze off to sleep or look at your phone, but you can't. You have to read with Stacy. Our scripture today comes from Revelation 4, 1 through 11. After this, I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice, which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet, said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven, with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian, and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were twenty-four thrones, and seated on the thrones were twenty-four elders, clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder, and before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass, like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature, like a lion. The second living creature, like an ox. The third living creature, with the face of a man. And the fourth living creature, like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, Each of them, with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night, they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, The twenty-four elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you are a holy, holy, holy God, and that we can have this passage to show us a picture of biblical truth. Lord, you've given us just a window into the picture of the 
of the throne room, of how great you are, how powerful, how glory-filled you are, and that you deserve our worship. And so I pray, Lord, that as we look at your scriptures, that you would uh, bless us all, encourage us, convict us, grow us, reassure us, and help us to know what it is that you have done for us. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. The London National Gallery. In 2006, my wife and I got to go to the London National Gallery. We were part of this group that was traveling, and the guide kind of messed up. And so we got there 20 minutes before it closed. Like, this is like the second best gallery in the world. Like, there's Van Gogh, and there's, you know, Renoir, and there's Da Vinci, and Botticelli, and all these different ones. There are pictures from the 13th century, and we had all these plans of, like, we're going to go to this one, and then this one, and this is a priority, and then this one. 20 minutes. So we just chucked the plan, and we're like, all right, what's the one thing you want to see? And being the wonderful husband that I am, I said, what would you like to see, Becca? Because I didn't really know anything about art, really. (laughs) And she said, I want to see Van Gogh's sunflowers. And I was like, all right, it's right here on the map. Let's go. So we get there. We're running up the steps. We run into, into the gallery. We're running down the hall, and the guards are like, slow down, don't run. It's like, okay, it's okay, we're Americans. And we were... (laughs) We're just trying so hard to get to Van Gogh sunflowers, right? And we get there, and Becca is just like, her breath is taken away. She's so moved, she can't speak. And I'm like, that's a masterpiece? That doesn't look anything like a sunflower. Like, in my mind, art is supposed to be a replica. What's going on? And she's like, it's an impressionist art, David. I was like, well, I don't know what that is. Impressionist art, which I have learned now and learned to appreciate, just so you know, by the way. Impressionist art is not painted to be an exact replica or copy. It's to evoke, like, your emotions and to capture your heart and to bring out your senses. And they're not supposed to be perfect replicas of the subject that's being painted, right? And so, you know, if I said, so-and-so is going to paint an Impressionist painting of the Atlanta skyline, and they go and paint it, you and I would not sit down and go, I wonder if that building is 800 feet tall or 850 feet tall. Hmm. Like, we wouldn't look at it and go, okay, you think that's a 13-story building or a 14-story building? Like, that's, we're overanalyzing it. That's not what Impressionist art is, right? It's not supposed to be overanalyzed that way. And so if we do that with God's Word, we can miss the point of what he's trying to say. Now, I'm not trying to say there are, no import, like, there are parts that are not important in God's Word. All of it is God's Word. But I want us to see that he is giving us this overall impression, right? Like he's busting up on his Instagram account an impressionist 
kind of picture, vision. And so that's what we have in Revelation 4. And this picture is really supposed to communicate the reality of God's throne, the reality that God reigns on the throne over everything. And so this morning, we're just going to look at the position of the throne and then the celebration of the throne. And if you have questions, you can email jimmy at intown.org. Talk to him. So first, position of the throne. Where is the throne? See it. First thing that you see in verse 2. First thing that you see. Look at the prepositions, though, in the rest of the passage. There is a rainbow around it. The 24 elders surround it. The thunder and the lightning, verse 5, they come from the throne. Verse 6, there is a sea of glass before the throne. Creatures around the throne. Verse 9, thank to the throne. Verse 10, the ca- they cast their crowns before the throne. Verse 10, they sing to the throne. The throne is at the center of everything. It's at the center of all the creatures, all the people, all the attention, all the worship, all the celebration. It's all about the throne. Everything is about the throne. And I, I have a friend who um, lived in Salt Lake City, and he told me that all the streets are numbered in Salt Lake City, both directions. So if you live at 22 North and 14th Street, you live 22 blocks north of the city center and 14 blocks east of the city center. And I'm like, well, what's, what's at the city center? Like, why is that such a big deal? And he's like, it's the Mormon temple, David. Everything in Salt Lake City revolves around the Mormon temple. Like, where each of you would live would be in relation to the Mormon temple. Well, I want you to see that everything in this room is in relation to the throne. The throne is at the center. The throne is what everybody is paying attention to. Now, what's coming from the throne? I mentioned some of the things, but let's look. First, you see power. Look at verse 5. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. Like, think about the, the, the lightning storms that you've been in. Think about the bad ones where you get scared, where your kids get scared and run and jump in your bed. Like, that's nothing, right? That's nothing compared to this. So you see that there's power coming out of the throne. Also, verse 6, how is it described? Before the throne, there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. How big is this throne if there's a sea in front of it, right? Like, it's showing its enormity. It's showing this throne is huge. This throne is big. And there's a sea of glass over it. It looks like glass. It looks like crystal. We'll come back to that. We see also in verse 3 how there's beauty. We see that around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Like there's beauty, there's color, the aesthetics of it are overwhelming. Like it's incredible. And the last I want to say, there's glory coming from the throne. You see verse 3, you know, John says, 
And he who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian. And you're like, wait, what's Jasper and Carnelian? Well, those are special rare jewels that are, that are those colors, okay? And you're like, well, what are you, what are you talking about, John? Like, I don't, I don't, what does a person who looks like Jasper and Carnelian look like? Like, we don't know. And John would have said, I don't know how to ex- dis- describe it to you. Like, this is my best shot. <laughs> this is the best I can do to put into words for you because you, you won't get it. You know, it'd be like if I asked Luke, hey, Luke, what's it like to give birth? How's that feel in your body? It seems like it hurts, but, you know, how would you feel? Like, he and I would not understand that. We'll never experience that. And so we don't understand it. Well, it's kind of like that here in our passage. It's like John is doing his best to describe what he sees. How many times did he say the word like? It looks like this. It looks like this. It looks like that. It looks like that. It looks like this. Likes so many times. So he's not exactly getting everything precise, right? Like a photocopy or replica. It's kind of this in general thing that he's describing, and it really can't be described. But you might say, okay, well, why, why am I being shown this picture? Like, why am I being shown a picture of a throne? Well, you remember, this is a book that's sent to seven churches. And we looked at them in chapter 2. In chapter 3, we covered the seven churches. And we saw that they were struggling. And so this is the following picture or vision that comes up from God to John. He says, I want you to show them this. This picture, this vision, is for people who are struggling. This picture, this vision, is for people who are going through trials, people who are experiencing pain, people who need to know that God is on the throne. God is on the throne. So when you are anxious, when you are struggling, when you're unsure or hurting or overwhelmed, it's like we need to go look at God on the throne again. We need to be reminded of this. We've got to hammer this thing into our heads and our hearts and our wills. And it's not going to take everything away. It's not going to, you know, make all of your pain go, on, go away. But it will help give you comfort and help give you assurance. And it will help you get, have courage. We've been talking about in Revelation the courage to overcome, the courage to keep going, being empowered to continue the Christian walk. And we're shown this vision, this picture of the throne, because God wants to entice our desires and capture our longings and capture our hearts. That's what he wants to do. One writer says about it, he says this, everyone here, I'm going to say here, everyone here has already been touched by something or someone that did something for us at such a core level that we enthroned it. Our lives bend toward what we enthrone. Our lives bend toward what we enthrone. 
right? The things that we enthrone, we base our lives around them. We center our lives around them. It's what we think about when our head hits the pillow and starting to go to sleep. It's what you think about constantly all day, trying to get whatever it is that you've enthroned. So the question is, what have you enthroned? What have you enthroned? Is it money? Is it approval? Is it importance? Is it family happiness? What have you enthroned? And I want, I mean, I want to say, like, there's, it's one thing to, like, be a good dad. It's another thing to enthrone your family in their happiness. Okay? So don't get me wrong. Those aren't bad things. But we can take these things that were not meant to be enthroned and enthrone them. And I want to think about what kind of rulers are these things that you've enthroned and I've enthroned, right? Like if we've enthroned performance, what kind of ruler is that? Right? Like if you had to get up and speak in front of people and talk about a weird book, you might be a little scared that I'm going to say something wrong and I'm going to look foolish. And um, if I do, I'm going to spend the afternoon feeling guilty and shame and beating myself up. And I mean, the person would, would do that. And right? If I, and if I did well, I would say, good. That's, that's what was expected of you. What kind of ruler is that? Like, the performance ruler is not good. It's a no-win situation. Like, there's no love there. It's just shame. Well, maybe we enthrone our children, right? You want them to be happy. You are consumed with them succeeding at everything. You know, they got to be on the straight-A list. They got to be on the four teams that are happening right now on the club level and they just have to be in the right place all the time. Things needs, need to be easy, and all of a sudden you're a helicopter parent, and you can never rest. You can never stop because there's always something else coming. That is not a good ruler. That is a ruler that's going to demand from you. That's a ruler that's going to haunt you. It's going to haunt your thought life, and it's going to make you feel bad, and it, really, it's going to make you, in the end, die for it. You, you will die for what it is you put on the throne. And these are horrible, horrible masters. And Revelation 4 is saying, you need to see the vision of the one who's really on the throne. You need to see this vision because you struggle. You need to see this vision because you have doubts at times. Because you're lukewarm in your faith at times. You need to see this vision. Okay, no one sits on the throne except the Lord God. No one sits on the throne. And his rule is different and better than any of those others. Okay, so that's the position. What about the celebration? celebration. What is being celebrated here? First we see verse 8. These creatures, I know you want to talk about them and you want me to explain them, but hold on. 
The four living creatures, each of them with six wings, all the creatures, day and night, they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. You know that the repetition in the Bible is like, hey, pay attention, you know, for emphasis. So he's saying, holy, holy, holy is God. Holy, holy, holy. Meaning he's pure, he's uncontaminated, he's untouched by evil, he's good. He wants humans to flourish. So they're celebrating who God is. Who he was, who he is, and who he'll always be. And notice what God says to them in return. Whoop, gotcha. He doesn't say anything. He doesn't demand their praise. He doesn't ask them to celebrate him. He doesn't remind them of, hey, you know what I did for you? Mm-mm. They're just celebrating who he is. They're celebrating who he is. You also see in verse 11, it says, Worthy are you, our Lord and God. Now, that, those two words were picked for a reason. Because the audience of Revelation would have been under the Roman emperor named Domitian, or Domitian, I've heard it both ways. Um, and he was a ruler who went around and said, you will call me Lord and God, or I'm going to kill you. Literally, this is happening when the book of Revelation comes out. You will call me, Domitian, the Lord of God, the Lord and God, me, or I'm going to kill you. I'm sorry, what? You think you're what? That's why John is going, "Uh uh-uh. This is the only person who's on the throne. This is your Lord and God. This is your Lord and God. You also see in verse 11 at the end, Jason mentioned this in his prayer, how God has created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Right? He is the creator. They're reminding everybody, hey, every person God created, every mountain, every stream, every blade of grass is made and exists because of God. God created them. They exist and continue to exist because of God. Again, they're acknowledging his power. Talking about how great he is and how much power he has. Okay, so who are the ones celebrating? Look at verse 10. I know you want to go to 7, but let's stay at 10. Look at verse 10. The 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne. Well, who are the 24 elders? There is debate about this. Who are the 24 elders? Is it angels? Is it the 12 tribes of Israel from the Old Testament? 12 apostles? Is it specific churches? Is, there's debate about it. 
But I'm going to tell you, I believe that it's the 12 tribes of the Old Testament and the 12 apostles. And together, they represent something which everyone agrees on. So they might disagree on who exactly is the 24. They all agree on what they're supposed to represent, though. They represent all of Christians throughout history. History past, history future. They're representing all of humankind who put their faith in Jesus. And what are they doing? What are they doing? They're taking their power and authority and they're laying it at the foot of the throne and saying, you are God Almighty. You are perfect and holy and deserve our praise and our worship and we are giving, giving our crowns to you. We're giving our lives to you. We want to join in worship of you and with you. Okay, so they're submitting to, the, to, to God, their authority. They're giving it to him. Okay? So next we have the animals. Okay? I need some water for this one. I'm just kidding. I don't. John doesn't know how to describe the animals. Did you see what he says? Verse 7, around the throne were 24, nope, not verse, I'm sorry, I'm reading the wrong one. The first living creature, like a lion. The second living creature, like an ox. Right? The third living creature is just a man of, a face of a man. Don't know what the rest of it is. And then the last one. Like an eagle. He's not, he's, not, he's not positive. This is how I would describe them. He doesn't know what to say exactly about them, but he is using imagery from Ezekiel 1 and Isaiah 6 to try to describe these things that are undescribable. I mean, they're crazy. They're beings no one can imagine. A lion with wings? With eyes all over it? Maybe you're more creative than I am, but I don't, that's insane. You know, eagles with six wings? How does that even work? Right? Like, I don't, I don't get it. Well, how do you think John feels? He has to describe it to everybody. And he's doing his best to describe it, and he's saying these, these creatures who are unreal and power and anything that I've ever seen. They're there too, but they're worshiping God. They're there too, and they're centered on the throne. They're centered on the throne of God. Now, okay, humor me for a minute as, we, as I explain this. I'm not saying it's true, but imagine if aliens existed. Okay? Imagine if aliens existed, and they were nice aliens, not like the ones from the movies who always just want to kill everybody. Nice aliens. Aliens come. Everybody's freaking out, right? It's a big deal in the whole world. And they're like, we want you to come, come together. We want to talk. So all of Atlanta comes, you know, and they're getting ready to speak. And they say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. 
you're going to sing that song differently the next time that you have to sing it. Right? You just saw aliens. And what are they doing? They're singing about God. They're talking about God. They're saying, this is who God is. Right? Like, we would, we would worship so differently. We would sing these songs with more excitement and more just assurance of God's power and trying to glorify him. That's kind of like what John is doing. He's trying to get them to make more of the throne. Now, remember, this is supposed to be kind of an impressionist picture. And so it's not like you go, you shouldn't read it and go, okay, what subspecies and genus do you think that these animals are? Let's start with the second one. Like, no, that's not how you're supposed to read it, and not in that voice either. Like, you're supposed to say, if these creatures that we can't even describe and we can't even understand are worshiping God and are centered on the throne, that's who we should be worshiping too. That's who who we should be excited about too. That's who we should be celebrating too. If they enthrone God and never stop, then I want to enthrone God and never stop. And that's what Revelation is for, is for. Now, there's one, one verse, that, one little detail that's so important for the rest of the whole chapter. Okay? Look back at the beginning. Look at verse 1. There's this little detail that's so important. After this, I looked, John. After this, John looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. Okay? It's a door standing open, and it's not like the door to your heart. It's the door to the heavenly throne room. Okay? And the first voice, which I heard speaking to me like a trumpet, said, Come up here. And I will show you what must take place after this. Now, if you have the uh, red letter, you know, when Jesus talks, red letter writing in your Bible, you'll see that this is the red letters. This is Jesus saying, come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. He's saying, come here. Come here. Right? And this voice is saying, hey, John, I want you to come into this crazy throne room that you don't understand, but is amazing. Come here. I want you to come here. And Jesus is the one asking him to come in, right? Like, think about the throne room. If I walk up by myself and see that there's a door open to the throne room and see these animals and see people doing what they're doing, it's like, I don't think I belong in there. I don't think I qualify. (laughs) And Jesus is saying, I want you to come here. Come in. I know you don't deserve it. I know you don't have any merit for it. I know it's not because you're just so special. I want you to come here. I'm inviting you by my grace and my mercy. I came to earth as a man 
and experienced life and experienced death and was resurrected so that you could come into this room. You do belong in that room. You do belong in that room because of Jesus, right? Because of the slain lamb. We sang that earlier. You do belong in there. I want you to come here. And look, if you're, if, if you're not a Christian, or maybe you're struggling with, um, I don't know, trials, pain, sorrow, doubt, brokenness, I want you to see you are invited by Jesus to come into the room with John. And if God is that good and that powerful and he's on the throne, wouldn't you want to know him? Wouldn't you want his spirit to be with you all the time? Wouldn't you want to know that you are made right with him and that he loves you as you are? And he loves you even more that he's not going to leave you as you are. He's going to grow you and change you. You're being invited in and being shown this picture and invited into the throne room. Jesus opens up the door to the throne room saying, you do belong. You do belong in here. I know you doubt it, but you do belong in here. You do belong All of our worship goes into that room. Your prayers go into that room. I know they feel like they get stuck at the ceiling, right? No, they go into the throne room. All of your life matters because of the throne room. And Jesus is saying, I want you to understand, first of all, Christians, that life revolves around the throne, not you. Right? Like we think that we're the center of the universe. I'm the most important one on I-85, get out of my way. I'm the most important at the doctor's office. My yard has to look the best, right? No, you are not the center of the world. And that's humbling, but it's also kind of relieving. But Jesus is saying, I want you to come in. Come to the throne room. You do belong. And because Jesus has conquered sin and death in his mercy and his grace, he invites you in. That's what Jesus came to do. And Revelation 4 is showing us a picture of this throne room and saying, here's a biblical truth that I want you to know when you're struggling. Be reminded of this when you struggle. And it's also an invitation to God. It's an invitation to join in the celebration that he rules over everything. Everything. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this picture of the throne room. We thank you that we can see it and that it would bring us assurance and power. That it would entice us and capture our hearts and our imaginations in a way that would want us to continue following you. Even when things get hard, even when we don't want to, even when we're tired, we thank you for Jesus.
who has invited us and made us qualified to be in the throne room. And we pray in his name. Amen.